Mason, we honor you. My nephew, the son of my eldest sister, we honor all that you mean to Steph and to everyone who loved you, especially me too. We honor your love for taking things apart and putting them back together just for the sake of understanding how they worked. <laughs> we honor your love for building things, for gaming. We honor your love for helping other people to get through gaming systems. We honor how you moved to Utah with such courage and reached out and were growing and becoming the man that you wanted to be. We honor your life today and your legacy, and we miss you. Hey, family. I'm Coach Steph. And I'm Dr. Angela. We are the Grief Sisters. Together, we lost four family members in a seven-week time period. We know suffering. You may feel lonely, but you are not alone. Let's jump in. Hey, family. In our Meet the Greet Sisters episode, you shared the story, Steph, of your son Mason passing away at 22 years young because of a heart condition that no one knew about. Today, we are going to talk about the grieving that follows the death of a child and what you have done in the nearly six years since Mason's death to honor the love you have for him, his life, and the deep lament you live with. Thank you so much as your sister, as a human being, Steph, for being willing to talk about such a difficult subject and to shed a little bit of light into what this experience is like for people who love other people who have experienced something similar in their lives. I just want to thank everyone out there who's listening, who is going to hold space with me while I tell my story. I'm already getting emotional, so we can expect that. It's really, really important. We're learning more and more each day and each time we do a podcast that when people share their story, it helps them along with other people who really feel the same way or share similar stories in, in one way or another. This is going to be really good. And listeners, at the end of season one, you're going to hear from Professor Frieda Rundell, and she's going to talk about why sharing our story matters. So we definitely hope that you'll tune in to Professor Rundell's episode and learn more about the importance of sharing your story, how to do that, how to find people to share your story. We realize that both Dr. Angela, me, and Coach Steph, like we realize the importance of telling our story. And at the same time, it doesn't always get easier, right? Even though we've told this story, in different spaces throughout the last six years, there's something about going back that can be difficult. And it takes being brave. Steph, thanks for being brave today. I'd love to start by asking, how would you describe your grief? What has it been like to be you, to be Stephanie for the last six years? Wow. Just hit me with it right away. <laughs> Good, job. Good job, sis. Good job, sis. No, I think this is a great question in general to ask anyone who's been in a grief journey as as we both have and many of our listeners. Sometimes your grief journey started when you were a kid. And so these last six years for me started when in 2017, when I found out that Mason passed away at the age of 22. And yes, it was a heart condition. 
really, it was a heart attack. He died of a sudden cardiac arrest. He was, we were told that his, his heart in that area looked like it was an 85-year-old heart. He had a blockage that, that basically put him into a sudden cardiac arrest. Shocker, for sure. For the last six years, grieving is ongoing. It's ever-changing. There's ebbs and flows to it. I personally and some of our listeners may or will hear that I describe it as my grief cement backpack and that I will carry it for the rest of my life. Some days it feels heavier. Some days it feels lighter. Sometimes I find coping mechanisms that makes it feel lighter. Other days it feels like someone put another block of cement in the backpack. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, you know, right now at the time of recording, this is the holiday season. My grief, I feel, really shifts kind of based on the situation I'm in, the time of year it is. I literally have streets in my neighborhood and or in my city that I don't drive down hmm. be because they elicit memories that I know I don't want to partake in at that particular time. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Oh, and I'm sure that there are people who are listening who can resonate with that. I imagine that while you're listening, you're thinking to yourself, yes, there are things that I avoid. Places, specific tasks that I just can't do because it brings up stuff that I'm not ready to walk through or I just know that it's very triggering for me and it's not helpful. You know, I think that's an important part of the grieving process that I want to highlight is that it's okay to say that I can no longer do this thing or I can't do this thing for a while, whatever it is. I can't go to this place for a while or I can't go there anymore because it's not helpful for my grieving process. Mm -hmm. And then in the grieving process to try to discern with a therapist, with friends and family, with a small group that you're a part of, with people in your worship community, what are the things that are helpful to me in this grieving process? And, and for all of us, it looks different. And part of the work of grieving, I think, is figuring out, like, what are the things that are helpful and unhelpful? And so I love that you just straight out of the bat said, like, this is something that's unhelpful to me. And then this image of the cement backpack is so helpful, too, because it helps us to realize that what I like about it is, I mean, multiple things, but one is that it is behind us. Mm. And that's the thing is yeah. when a traumatic event happens, like losing your child, having your child die suddenly, it's it's in the past. And yet it is so, pre it, it's in close proximity to you at all times. Mm. It's up against you mm. and you feel the weight of it every day. And so it, fight, it might feel lighter some days or heavier some days, but it's always there. And so I'm so sure, I imagine that a lot of people who are listening are, are feeling that too. Like, oh, wow, that's a helpful metaphor for thinking about what I'm carrying. Mm -hmm. And just, I hope that, that anyone who's listening, who feels like, oh my goodness, why am I still angry, still sad, still crying a lot, still having trouble cooking, getting out of bed, taking a shower, what is going on? I hope that you'll give yourself some compassion today. Like you are carrying something very heavy and it's close. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Exactly. We had just finished in our, our The Grief Sisters book club on Facebook. And if you're not a member of our book club, we, we always call it the Who Cares If You Read the Book book club. 
And we just read, you know, the book about the grieving brain and how just those memories and those people are literally ingrained in our brain through synapses that have been created with those memories and those people. And so when we wonder why we can't get over it or why we wonder if they're really gone or we expect them to come back through the door, that's another episode that that we will talk about at some point that it it is normal to have that denial. And and I carried that with me for a long time, especially because Mason at the time was living away. He had moved to Utah at the time of his passing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Can we talk a little bit now just about who Mason was mm-hmm. to you? As his mother, you knew him from this, the moment that he was in your tummy to now, to like now, you know, yeah. and, and all of the 22 years that he was with you. What, what was he like? Gosh, Mason was a stinker. He was, <laughs> he was, you know, my firstborn, my best friend, one of my best friends. He was not always easy. He was my try everything first and get in trouble later, kid. And ask for forgiveness later. But that also meant that he was brave and independent. And he always tried to grow up really fast. Mm-hmm. And and in my mind, now I know why. Because his life was cut short. Mm-hmm. And he lived a lot of life during his 22 years. He came to me when he was 19. He had, you know, a job at Target here in town and he was living in his own apartment. And he said, mom, I want to move back in with you because I found something. I want to move to Utah and make a new start. And there's a lot of opportunity there. He had a friend that he had met over the years that they did online gaming together. And this, this buddy of his invited him to come out and, and they could room together and, and have fun together. I was reluctant because he was a starter and a stopper. And like I said, he was a try everything and ask for forgiveness later, but Darn if he didn't prove me wrong. He saved his money. He moved to Utah. He was really doing great, you know, and he had just gotten a really important job about a month before he passed away. And he was a cool kid. You know, he was fun to be around. He was kind of always like an adult around people. I miss him, man. Do I miss him? Yeah. Yeah. I feel, could you say something about, I feel like it's important to talk about how skilled he was with computers, especially because he's not like this upcoming generation, but he he seems like he was like good at computers before it was even like a thing to be really good at computers, especially at a young age. Also, and just like his love for gaming and a little bit about, could you say something about the gaming at the time before he, before he passed away and then after, (laughs) like how he felt about it? Because you might have some parents out there, staff that feel very similar. Oh, yeah, that's so true. Right? Yes. Yeah. So obviously growing up, he was at the, he was, you know, younger and a teenager when gaming and gaming on YouTube and and, uh, called Twitch was just starting, you know, and he would tell me like, mom, I'm going to be a famous gamer and I'm, I'm recording my screen while I'm playing a video game and people are watching me. And I'm like, what are you like? People play video games, but now they're watching people play video games. (laughs) So the premise is that they learn how to do things they can't do on a video game or you walk them through a difficult part of a video game or whatever. And I gave him a terrible time for it because that's all he wanted to do. I'm like, Mm -hmm. dude, keep your job, stay healthy, you know, all the things. 
but he had recorded tons and tons of videos of, of himself doing this. He was somewhat successful, had started gaining yes. quite a following. Man, if he was here now, I think that he it would be his full-time job. Yeah. He came to me, a, a, you know, when he was 17 or 18 and said, mom, I want to build my own computer. And, and again, at the time, it's like, you didn't do that. You just like went and bought a computer that was already pre-made. And so <laughs> he, you know, he did that one, one silly story about him that really kind of gives you his personality is he was a taker apart and a put her back together. And mm. I came home from work one day and he had been home from school for a couple of hours and I walked in and on the kitchen counter strewn across the entire counter he had taken apart our toaster and I'm like Mason what is happening <laughs> and he's like I really just I really just needed to know how this worked and I'll put oh it back God. together I didn't know and, that story that's oh, amazing and I don't recall I don't recall actually if it ever got put together or not isn't that funny I can't remember I just remember the trauma you know it was just a, probably a $20 toaster but I'm like here we go again taking stuff apart like ask permission next time okay <laughs> yep that's the kind of guy he was yeah well can you say something about now like how, how you feel about his video gaming oh yeah of course it's gracious you know for those of us who grieve the loss of people. Sometimes you want and miss them so bad. And I'm so lucky that if I really want to sit down and spend some time with him, I have videos of him talking and his little picture in the screen and yeah. his voice. That's so cool to hear that and to have that. It's the same voice that I could hear in the distance in the bedroom of mm -hmm. him clicking. Mm -hmm. I actually use his game keyboard as my keyboard on my desk I'm looking at it right now it has pur purple lights on it and it's noisy and makes a lot of noise and you can hear him tapping that very same keyboard in those videos and he says hello I'll see you next time until next time just stuff like that it's oh, I'm, I'm so lucky oh well so for those of you who are listening if you ever hear clicking in the background in the future Steph and I oftentimes we'll be like sharing with each other oh let, like let's not forget this or that just know that that's mason that's <laughs> present with us that's his gift to all of us is that loud computer board that she's got and then the other thing is just be a part of videos you know if you're i can be so self-conscious sometimes and i know that we're gonna we talk about this a little bit with molly galbraith in a future episode uh, about like letting people take your picture and just like being in the pictures. I also encourage you in the coming weeks, you know, take videos, not just to post online, but for you of the people that you love and capture their voice and save their voice texts or their voicemails, just because you never know when hearing their voice will bring you comfort in the future. And they don't even have to like pass away for that to be true. I think there's something about capturing moments with people that we love that can in the future be a real support to our future selves. I mean, you've already been talking a little bit about ways that you nurture your love for Mason and one of them being watching his gaming back, you know, his recording of his gaming and listening to his voice. What are other ways that you nurture the love you have for him and that you honor his life? This is, this is a touchy subject for a lot of people. I know for some families in particular, having photos of loved ones that they miss around the house can be really hard. 
I have a friend who who has an uncle that had passed away and she said when she goes to her, her cousin rather and when she goes to her aunt and uncle's house there are no photos of her mm. cousin that passed away because mm. it's too hard for them but for me in particular I do have lots of photos of Mason in my house do they trigger me sometimes do they punch me in the gut sometimes yes so I will say that sometimes I do move them out of my immediate view However, I do have a really large poster-sized photo of him staring at me right now in my office <laughs> that we had at his funeral slash celebration. It's a really cool photo of him. And it is. So he, he's with me, but there are times when I see a photo of him and I'm like, you know what? I need to move this to a place that every single time I walk to the restroom in my house, I don't have to see this. It's okay one way or the other. It's okay to change it. Yeah, You know, I have family that come over and the first thing they do is look for his pictures. I, they don't tell me that, but I see them walking over to the wall, walking over to a, a countertop or table where I have a photo of him. And, and it's their way of saying hello to him too, I think. I do it. I do it. Mm. Every time I come to your house, <laughs> I look at the wall of photos of all your children and grandchildren. Mm. Mm. Yeah. And I, I take a moment to think about him. Yeah. Mm. That, that's neat. You know, an, another thing that I do that I really just started last year is I, well, I started taking yoga teacher to become a yoga teacher. Like probably a lot of people started taking classes on how to do something during COVID and, and whatnot. But during that yoga teaching class, I, I learned a lot about crystals and mala beads, necklaces and bracelets. And so I thought these are really cool. And I decided to try to make some and make sense of those type of things for me as a Christian. So I decided to personally make some because first of all, they look cool. And I kind of wanted to make sense of that sort of ritual. Mm -hmm. And I've always loved beads anyway. Like I, I can go to Hobby Lobby or something and you walk past the bead aisle. And yeah, like, man, I wish I could make something cool out of that. Well, and you love jewelry. Right? And I, I do. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I went and Lo and behold, there was a little strand of butterfly beads. Mm. And I thought, wow, this is it. I'm going to put a butterfly on each of these bracelets for myself. And then I bought too many beads because they were on sale for half price. And, <laughs> and I started wearing them. And immediately, it's crazy. People would say, I love your bracelet. And I would say, thank you. It's kind of a memory of my son who passed away a few years ago and, and I love butterflies. And darned it if they wouldn't say, wow, I just lost my mom a month ago. Or wow, I love bracelets too. My aunt passed away a year ago. Or I too lost, like everybody who asked me about it, Yeah, literally everyone had lost someone too. And I immediately would take the bracelet off and give it to them. Wow. And so it's become a thing with mm -hmm. me. Mm -hmm. I wear bracelets all the time. And more often than not, someone will ask me about them and they will be the person who actually needs it. One last story on that is I had a, a girlfriend in, in tennis practice. She noticed a green one that I had on and she said, wow, I love that color green. That's a cool bracelet. And that's actually my daughter's wedding colors. And I said, that's really, really cool. And I said, this is why I make them. And she said, oh my goodness, her best friend who was her maid of honor just lost her mom. And we're using that color because that was her mom's favorite color as the wedding colors. 
And I'm like, well, this bracelet was made for you. And I didn't even know it when I made it. And you didn't even know it. And I'm giving it to you. It's been a really, really cool thing to kind of create something. It's methodical. It takes a little time. It's kind of, you know, a dedication to him. Oh, yeah. And it's it's an incredible one. I love it. And I have two bracelets that you gave to me. And I love them. I think of Mason and you when I wear them which is just wonderful. And I always get compliments on them. I just didn't know that you like automatically gave, took off the bracelet that you had. I knew that you were making them for other people. I didn't know that regularly you took off the ones you had and just gave them mm-hmm, to people, mm-hmm. which is why I said, wow, that was so cool. Yeah. I just love how something that you feel inspired to do in honor of your loved one can have the ripple effect that that has had. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the mistake my daughter said, Mom, you should have been like, take the bracelet off, give it to them and take a photo on their wrist and start creating this 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 photo album of, of bracelets that you've given away. Mm-hmm. And I thought, shoot, that would have been a good idea. But, yeah. Well, did, in the butterflies, I know you talk about how much you love butterflies. Is it has it just been something your whole life that you love? I, I'm trying to remember if and I don't remember exact or is there a particular connection to Mason? Actually, actually it did kind of start after, you know, I think a lot of people attribute butterflies to maybe the loss of a loved one. I have two things, honestly. I started finding bird feathers everywhere mm. when he passed away. And I I have a, a silly collection of them now too. I, every time I play tennis, there's a bird feather big or small on the tennis court. And were they there before? Maybe. (laughs) Did I never notice them before? Maybe. But it's just a little nod to him. And with butterflies, I would often take walks after his passing and listen to podcasts and try to get out of the house. And I highly recommend just go for a walk if you need to, if you're struggling. But butterflies would come, like they were almost dive bombing me. I would drive down the street and they would flutter across my windshield. Mm. One day I was talking to my daughter and we were reminiscing about Mason and one tapped on the window next to our dining room table over and over again. Was the butterfly lost? Maybe. Was he, (laughs) you know, who knows? I I hear what you're saying and I'm like, maybe it's that the moment we do attach meaning to something related to our loved one. Maybe that's the way that they keep meeting us in our life. Like that's another bright, that's an actual possibility. I think it's like we attach, Mason realizes, oh, she's attached meaning to this feather. I'm going to keep leaving them for her. Mm-hmm. That's a right. Or as she has realized that she thinks of me with butterflies, I'm going to keep showing up with, you know what I mean? And, and meeting her through this way. That's also a possibility. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'll be, I'll be doing dishes. And butterflies, you know, I have a very small kitchen window and butterflies will fly by and tap on the window. It's, yeah. it's, and so for me, it's a sweet memory of him and, and it's a hello, mo- hello, hi, Mason yeah. kind of moment. I think people do that with red cardinals. I think they do that with lots of different things. I went to Taos for a tennis tournament a few years ago and my friend Helen that we're going to be having on the podcast a little bit later, we were walking to and from our room to the tennis courts. And butterflies were attacking me. And she's like, you are not kidding. Like, you're not kidding about this butterfly thing. They really do follow you. Well, they don't follow me. That's what I was going to say. Like, I don't find them tapping on windows. I don't, that's not my experience. So (laughs) I do think you got something 
you and Mason got something going on there, oh, which I love. Wow. Uh, another thing I know that you have a connection to him about, the last thing I want to ask you about specifically related to just nurturing a love for him is Mason jars. They hold a special place in your heart now. Maybe you want to talk a little bit about Mason jars. I mean, Mason jars have always been pretty cool. And my, my grandmother growing up, that was pretty much what we drank our iced tea out of. But of course, after he passed away, anything with the name Mason and and to to be honest with you, I hear his name everywhere. His name is now a popular name, but for younger kids, I guess. But mm-hmm. I I hear it often when I didn't used to hear it in movies, in on TV shows. There's people with with that name as characters, but particular mason jars. I started collecting them, and and we're notorious in our house anyway for breaking glasses. So mason jars are a good replacement because you can drop them and they don't easily break. I had to um, tell myself I will only get a mason jar if it has the actual name Mason on it. I had to sort of talk myself. <laughs> I said before that, you know, I've apologized to my daughter, Natalie, for collecting. I'm like, someday, honey, when you when you acquire all of the things that I've acquired in my life and they're given to you for whatever reason, you're going to have a lot of mason jars. So she's OK with mm-hmm. that. But people give them to me as gifts now in the form of candles in the form of flower vases shaped like mason jars. Our other sister, Allison, she sent me a beautiful flowers for my birthday, I think one time, and it was in a mason jar. I've had a friend who gave me these beautiful glass earrings that were made from mason glass, the original blue mason glass, and they someone melts it down and turn them into earrings. So now, you know, it, it's become a really simple way for people to like give me something for Christmas yeah. or my birthday. Yes. And it's, it's one of those things that I feel like you see, it's so common to now to see them in all these different places, like in restaurants, in stores and stuff like that. And so similar to butterflies or bird feathers, it's another thing that you can be on the lookout for. And when you see it, it's just this spark of joy. Well, and and, and yeah, sorry to interrupt you, but you also used mason jars. I believe it was the first Christmas after Mason passed away. And for those listeners out there that don't realize or haven't listened to all of our podcasts, we lost jointly four family members in a seven week time period. So right after Mason died, father died. And and then a week or two after that, I lost my step-grandfather. A lot of these things, you know, also remind me of them as well. And you, at Christmas time, you filled up mason jars with various things. Yeah. And then sent them to people. I think that was your way of of finding a way to, to show tribute, too. That was really cool. Oh, thank you. I'm so glad you remember that. Yeah. It was. It was a really incredible way to, it was my way of honoring his life that Christmas. And and they are, they're like the really large ones make for awesome gifts for people, especially if you're mailing them. So you can like put a stuff, a bunch of little things in it and, and then wrap them in bubble wrap and, and mail them across the country. That was fun. Mm-hmm. It was a fun way to honor him. I'm wondering if we could shift the conversation a little bit to just you giving some perspective on for people who are listening who have had a child pass away, mm. especially if it's been recent for them. Yeah. yeah. If a listener has had a child pass away recently, what, what do you want them to know? First of all, we say all the time in our podcast, you are absolutely not crazy. 
Mm -hmm. Um, I often told my husband, who was also grieving as well, he was his stepdad, but he loved him very much in New Mason from the time he was two years old, that if people only knew what was going on in my head, they would probably think I was nuts. We only share anyone in grieving, whether it's a child or someone else, we only share a bit or bits and pieces of what's in our mind. (laughs) And you're not nuts, even though you feel like you are. And that grief in and of itself is uniquely messy. And, and grief is hard because we do it alone, even if other people are around us, even if other people loved our child like we did, even if you're sitting in a room surrounded by people, Grief is something that is very private or it feels very private. And that's okay too. Know that that lonely feeling doesn't last forever. Mm. Uh, I feel like that alone feeling, you know, looking back, it was very special to me. Sometimes a family member would tell me, I miss him just as much as you do. And I'm like, no, you don't. You know what I mean? Like, like almost angry at my own loneliness and grief. So maybe consider taking that loneliness or that private feeling as your unique relationship with your child. Mm -hmm. And that there is a place where you do do that grieving alone, because no matter who else loved that child, you had that one unique relationship. Of course, our grief with every single person that we lose is unique and different. With that, I would highly encourage parents to seek ways to honor your loved one that feels good to you. Mm -hmm. For example, at Christmas, I buy gifts that I would have given to him and give them away to someone else that I know needs them. Oh, I love that. Socks, a jacket, underwear. I always gave him cologne and deodorant and silly stuff like that in his stocking. I still buy it. I go to Target, I buy it, and then I either donate it or wrap it up. Or now I give it to my nephews who get double because they get Uncle Mason's too. And so, but I buy it with the intention that I'm buying it for him. I I don't forego the Christmas shopping that I did for him. Hmm. Yeah, I, I love that you just shared this I didn't know this until now and so this is I think this is what's so interesting interesting about this podcast is that as we tell our stories we unveil things unearth things that oftentimes we don't speak of because it's just it's like the way that we have grieved but that we don't even realize oh this is what I've been doing and you know and so speaking that aloud I just I can imagine that helping a lot of people listening that you don't have to stop doing this thing that brought you a lot of joy in honor of this person. Like, keep doing it. (laughs) Whatever it is, you can keep doing it in their honor and as a way of loving them. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So that's beautiful. If a listener knows someone who has had a child die, so maybe someone's listening that like, oh man, you know, one of my friends, one of my family members, their child died recently or their adult child, their, their kid died. What is important for those people to know? Hey, family, this is Coach Steph, and we want you to know that we appreciate you. If you wouldn't mind, and especially if you found our podcast helpful, 
please follow, rate, and or officially subscribe to our podcast on whatever platform you listen to us. This helps us grow and gets the word out to more listeners who really and truly need us. You can also consider supporting us even further by pressing the support button in our Anchor podcast link found in the show notes. Even $1 a month is helpful for us to continue to bring amazing guests and content to your ears. Thank you so much for listening. In particular, I think for me, obviously, I was completely unattached. And you can expect that person who's lost someone so close to them. It, it, it truly feels like you lost an arm and a leg, yet you still have the haunting feeling that that arm and a leg is there. That's what we're dealing with. And other people who have a loss that's maybe not a child, it can be just as devastating, of course. Well, first of all, I often didn't feel like doing anything for a long time. And I do feel like people invited me to do things or offered, hey, if I can help in any way, let me know. If I can mm-hmm. come over, let me know. Yeah. I had such terrible memory loss. I would forget who had texted me or I would make appointments to visit people and forget. Or I would set appointments for people to come over and they would show up at my door and I was still in my pajamas. And so I would tell people maybe offer one or two suggestions would you like me to do this or this? What comes to mind to me is is we were we were grateful enough to have a church that wanted to put us on a meal train. We're fine financially. Like it wasn't something that we were necessarily thinking we needed, but someone from the church called and my husband's answering the phone and and I could hear him saying, I think we're fine. Thank you so much for offering. And then the hesitation, and she said, do you, need, do you have a lot of people coming to your house? It must have been the question. He said, yeah, we do. And she said, what about bottled water? And he's like, yeah, bottled water. Thinking outside of the box of like, people probably do have people coming in and out of their house. They need tissue paper. They need maybe some paper goods. They could be receiving a lot of food and they need Tupperware where you can pack the, the food away. Ask them if you can just stop by and do their laundry. Or I remember, Angela, you said that your friend, Molly, when our dad passed away, she just showed up and said, I'm coming. I'm bringing my computer. I'm just going to sit here. And if you need me, I'm here. And she was like, and her other thing was like, I'm going to make sure you all eat. And so just whenever it's time to eat, I'm going to bring you food and you can eat as much of it or as little of it as mm-hmm. you can. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, yeah. I'm just going to be in this other room. I love yeah. you all. Yeah. Yeah. So it was like she came with no needs of her own. And it was just, I'm going to share space with you all. Mm -hmm. If you need me, I'm here. But my one job is to like keep you fed while you plan this funeral. Right. Yeah. And no expectation to like have a conversation. Like if you want to talk about it, you know, like none of that expectation. I will say, though, I did have friends who gave up and got angry that I was not available or, hey, I reached out to you and you never got back to me or your text messages were very short. And so I got the feeling you didn't want me to contact you. I would just say, don't give up. I had a friend who just kept asking me to go to yoga. I think I mentioned this in a previous podcast. And my friend Allie, she just, she had lost her dad a few years ago and yoga was great for her. And it was a great way for her to say, just be my guest at yoga. And you don't have to talk about it. And I would go with her sometimes. And sometimes I would tell her I was going and then I wouldn't show up. And she would say, that's okay. And she would invite me the next time. And, and she would just be very gentle with me. And she just kept reaching out. 
And I would just say, don't give up. I think the hard part sometimes looking back is a lot of people, I lost my son, but they lost Stephanie and the way that she used to be. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. People grieved like their friendship with me because I was no longer that same person, maybe in their mind. And the thing is, is that really that's, I feel like like that's not your responsibility. It's the ring theory thing that we talked with Molly about, which is like that those closest to a death or an event, a tragic event are the ones that like, like all the love and compassion and care goes toward the people that are closest to it. And then, and then the needs flow out Mm -hmm. from it, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think that if you're listening and you know someone who's lost a child recently, and maybe it's because they're in prison or they've lost, they're missing. They're struggling in cycles of poverty or addiction, and you don't know where they are. It's different kinds of loss. But if you know someone who has just lost someone very close to them, especially a child, I think it's important to hear what Steph's saying. I really appreciate what you're saying, which is they're going to be on it. They're going to be unattached from people, detached from the world for a while. One is what I'm hearing. And that's not about you. It's about their grief. They just don't have the space to tend to people and their relationships with them in the ways that they did before. Mm -hmm. And I would give them a good two years to maybe, you know what I mean? Like to just give them a lot of space and just be wildly charitable about every interaction with them, realizing they have so little to offer Mm -hmm. And, and just being like having very low expectations of how much they can give. And then the other thing that I'm hearing you say is like memory loss is a real part of Mm. profound grief, like the death of a child. And so if someone forgets that has recently lost a very close loved one, their child or their spouse specifically, I would say, then don't be surprised if they forget that they were supposed to meet you or that you were coming to their house or that they were going to call you or whatever, because memory loss is a real part of grief, right? I mean, that's what I'm hearing you say. Yeah, absolutely. I had severe memory loss. My daughter had significant memory loss. So many parts of that time is so vivid in my mind. But those are the big things, right? It was the small things that, sure, I could eventually get up and go to work and have a routine. Sure, I knew how to pick up my daughter after school and all of those things. But it was it was the the peripheral things that weren't your basic needs that were easily forgettable. Here's an example. Actually, I went about six months, probably after Mason passed away, didn't give a crap about getting my hair done. And I really don't go that often anyway, but it had been a long time. I think it was, I think my husband was even like, hey, you should, you know, your hair has gotten so long, but you should go get a haircut or whatever. Somebody said it to me politely. And so I scheduled the appointment and I was driving to get my hair done and I could not remember where the hair studio was. I literally was driving down a street and I had a complete and utter blank. And mind you, this is the woman who cut Mason's first haircut. I've been going to the same place for 22 years. Yeah. I had to pull over. And Google the hair salon. Yeah. And put it on GPS. And that is a profound example of, yep. of like, whoa. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That you had very little capacity in your brain 
for any details other than my son has died and I'm trying, my brain's trying to make sense of this. Mm -hmm. Like your brain was so trying to solve the problem of your son being gone. Your brain was, oh my gosh, how is this? It was like that yeah. took up all the real estate in your mind. Right. You know, right. Because it was like your love for him was so huge. It was just like, that's all that your mind had room for. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so it was in your heart, you know. So just, yes, it's, if you know someone who has experienced a similar loss as, as Steph, like, I hope that you'll just give them grace upon grace for the next couple of years. <laughs> I'd love to just end the, the podcast before we get to Joy, of course. Um, mm -hmm. What are some of the most helpful things that people have done for you over the last six years? Mm -hmm. What stands out to you? When you say six years, I'm like six years, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know, it was so long, but just, it just happened. When you say give people grace for a couple of years, like we really mean it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I, I think that COVID on a side note where, you know, during the time of this recording is, you know, 2022, we're a couple of years out of COVID and just imagine how COVID, how is COVID still affecting you? When you look back at COVID and you were stuck in your house for six months, do, do you think to yourself, wow, did that really happen? That's the same, similar on a smaller level, what we deal with when we're in grief is you look back and you're, whoa, like, wow, that was a big deal. And did it really happen? I forgot. We were all cooped up. I said earlier, just keep asking and keep gently reaching out. It's hard when you know someone who you expected a lot of or they were a big part of something and they no longer have the capacity to be a part of that. Or maybe they dropped the ball and you had to pick up the pieces. I had a lot of people who did that for me and said, hey, I'll take this over for you. And that was really, really helpful in my job. It was helpful at home. We immediately started ordering HelloFresh and it, you know, was everybody could eat because HelloFresh kept showing up. And then reaching out around the holidays. This is a really particularly difficult time of year. Or if, you're, if you have a close friend, I would suggest maybe jot down the anniversary of the death or the birthday of that person who lost someone. Because man, when somebody tells me, isn't Mason's birthday coming up? I'm, oh my God, I love you so much. Just the fact that you remembered that, you know, this is a tough time for me makes me feel like other people keep him present in their mind. Yeah. And I, I love this. And I feel like for me, some people did it for me when our, when dad died, mm -hmm. I had two, three friends in particular, three. And really grateful to them, to Macy, Molly, and Christine. They each like remembered the day of our dad's death, but they remembered and they, they would text me on the anniversary. They still do to this day. Mm -hmm. And they say things to me like, I'm thinking of you. And if you want to talk, I'm here. Mm -hmm. Like what I like about that is if I want to be alone that day and I don't want to talk to anybody, I don't have to. Yeah. It's a text. But if I am feeling like, oh, I do want to talk about him. I do want to share stories. Love that too. And I, I love that we all do it for each other as well. We reach out on, on significant days and we mm -hmm. say, how is this year hitting you? You know, yeah. how are you feeling about it? And that's the thing is that sometimes that day comes and it hits differently than it did the year before. Right. You could even do it, like you said, in the weeks leading up to it. Right. Um, or on the day, either one. And I think just kind of creating space and saying, if you'd like to talk about it, or if there's a memory you want to share, or if there's something you want to say specifically about it via text, voice text, or yeah. on the phone, or in person, I'm here. And I just love that. It's a great idea. Any other right. thoughts? That, yeah. yeah. Something came to mind because you said, you know, the, the, well, a couple of things leading up to the day 
reaching out. And just for those people who also are dealing with maybe a first time anniversary of something or a holiday, for me, the, the days leading up to it is almost harder than the actual day. The anxiety of, oh my gosh, how is that day going to be? was like worse than the day. But I will say my first year when it was going to be, Mason died, we found, we found out on January 6th, but we think he had died on January 2nd. His birthday is February 15th, the day after Valentine's Day. I had this plan in my mind that I was going to go to a track or a park on his birthday and walk the lap 23 times because he was turning 23. Mm-hmm. And I had a couple of friends who were like, I'll do that with you. And I, would, I planned to take the day off work, the whole bit. And when that day came, you know what I did? I laid on the couch. I put a candle on the coffee table. Yeah. And I, I drank coffee and hot tea all day and I didn't do it. Yeah. And for a day or two, I was dang it. I feel bad. Like I had this plan to do this thing. And then on the day of, I couldn't know like it was not even nope I'm not doing that and I allowed myself to do something else instead for for whatever reason it was okay to change my mind and so I want other people to know too that you may have a plan for what you want to do or that other people have suggested that you do we talk about that in another episode don't let anybody else tell you what to do with your grief you can change your mind is what I'm trying Mm -hmm. to say that's and, right. And what worked, like you said, for one one year might not work the next year. And that's fine too. Yeah, absolutely. I think one way that we have kept Mason and dad and our other loved loved ones alive is by telling stories about them. Mm-hmm. I, I know that you've you've told me before when people share stories with you about Mason that it means a lot. Perhaps you want to speak to this because I think a lot of people when someone, especially like when they know someone whose child has died, the tendency might be to not want to talk about it or bring it up because they're nervous that they're going to make them sad. Mm -hmm. And if you want to speak to that. Yeah. Yeah. I tell people this a lot. Please say his name out loud. If you have a story about him, actually during his, his memorial, I asked people to write down on a piece of paper, a memory that they have of him. And I have them in a box. I've not looked at them yet, by the way, actually, after six years, I've still never been able to open that box. I have them when they're there. However, you know, people need to know that we are thinking of them all the time. Every moment, every day, every minute, just about even in years later, they're still with us. They, as we learned in, in the grieving brain book, like they're imprinted in our brain pattern. And they are as close to us as that cement backpack. So by you bringing them up is not going to remind me that my child passed away or make me feel bad or put me into a funk or something like that. It actually, personally for me, it restores my heart. And I love that other people remember him and want to talk about him. And the silly things that he did when his mom wasn't looking. Those are the ones I really want to hear about. Yeah, I guess, yeah we will put a little bit of a caveat on this, right? Because there are things to ask that you shouldn't ask. You right, know, yes. I don't think we're encouraging you to ask random questions about someone's child's death, like how they no, talk, no, no, no. talk about it, right? What we're encouraging is, one, to say, I was thinking about you and Mason, and I wanted to check in. Do you, if you want to talk about anything, I'm here. Mm-hmm. Or, hey, I, I remembered the other day 
when Mason used to come into my salon and get his haircut mm-hmm. and da 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 da, right? Right. So what right. we're encouraging is space for that person to talk with you about what's going on with them on a regular basis, should they want to. And the other thing we're encouraging is telling stories about them that could lift the mother or the father's spirits mm-hmm. because by you telling stories about what they meant to you, it lifts their yeah, spirit. Yeah, right? Abs- absolutely. So yeah, I have a friend who didn't know Mason very well. She knew him more as a teenager. And she said, you know, my biggest memory of him is I would come over to your house and he'd be mowing the grass. And so she's like, I always saw him mowing the grass. That's so funny that you remember that. And, she, and, and she's like, yeah, I just remember him as this hard worker. And I'm like, well, actually, you know, usually when you have people coming over, you want the grass mowed. And he probably was supposed to do it two hours before so that he did, you didn't see that the grass needed mowed. Yeah. But now, now, and when she brought that up, I thought, gosh, yeah, he was our, he did mow our grass. Oh, see? I, and so it's like, that was such a simple thing. It doesn't have to be an elaborate story. It can mm-hmm. just be a simple memory. Mm-hmm. And then also, if that makes me think, if you don't have a, a story about their, their child, you can also ask the question, like, could you tell me more about Mason? Yeah. Maybe you don't feel like it today, but if not, if someday soon you would like to tell me a little bit more about him, a funny story or something that just always stands out to you about who he he is, mm-hmm. what kind of guy he is, like, I would love to hear it. Mm-hmm. So it's that sort of thing of just helping, because when we talk about people, we keep them alive. Mm, exactly. And, and that's what Absolutely. we want. Like what we want is when someone we love as fiercely as we love our children dies we want other people to help us keep them alive i mean i i say it all the time that hearing his name hearing our children's name you know whether they're still here or not as parents it's like music to our ears we love talking about our kids and just because they're not on this earth anymore doesn't mean we want to stop talking about them that is so right i know that a lot of people who are listening just resonated with that statement so much oh Today, Mason, we honor you. My nephew, the son of my eldest sister, we honor all that you mean to Steph and to everyone who loved you, especially me too. We honor your love for taking things apart and putting them back together just for the sake of understanding how they worked. (laughs) We honor your love for building things for gaming. We honor your love for helping other people to get through gaming systems. We honor how you moved to Utah with such courage and reached out and were growing and becoming the man that you wanted to be. We honor your life today and your legacy, and we miss you. We are going to end with joy because that's what we do. That was a bit of joy for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, so sobering. For me, joy has found me recently through yoga and and I've been doing yoga for about three years now on a regular basis as part of my workout routine both coach Steph and I love to work out it's just a huge way that we get out all of our feelings and everything in the world and I discovered yoga with Adrian and probably millions of people around the world follow her online and so if you're listening you might have also benefited from her community but yoga with Adrian online, it's free. And I just, 
I love that she has taken something. She certainly makes money off of it in other ways, but she has this free 30-day journey that she allows people to be a part of for nothing every January. And I've done her 30-day journeys, all of them, and I've done a few of them twice. And just yesterday I was doing one and it was, it's been, it's a hard time, right? We were just talking about this, like for us, the anniversary, we lost uh, four family members in a seven week time period. And that time period is starting in a couple of weeks. And for me personally, I was getting divorced two years ago at this time. And it's just, it's such a difficult time for me. December is so hard. And I know it's really hard for a lot of you who are listening to you. And just being on the mat yesterday and having, it's so, it might sound so silly, but it's like this person who has, who has created this thing totally for free for people to benefit from around the world. And for me, it's every time I get on the mat, I do, I'm able to quiet the world and quiet my own soul. And I just felt so much gratitude yesterday doing it. I'm paying attention to my breath. Like I'm alive. My story is still being written. (laughs) I can move my body in this way and I can take 20 minutes and attuned to what I have to be grateful for. It brought me so much joy yesterday Mm -hmm. to think about her and everyone who's a part of what they're doing and how they help other people. And I'm just grateful for how different, yeah, the joy of being able to to move my body in that way and it being such a healing practice. That's what I'm trying to say. It's a real healing practice in my life. So Coach Staff, how has joy found you recently? Yeah, just as a reminder, you know, as Dr. Angela said, we ask every single guest this question at the end, and we always want to end with joy because we do find that it exists in the tiniest, smallest places of our minds and our hearts. And and when we're open to it, um, it does seek us. I even messaged you this morning, I think, and was like, I'll be racing back and we'll record the podcast, but I'm going to make it to tennis. And I almost canceled because we, I just have a busy day and I went and I just am so grateful for tennis. I was, I was to tennis about six months before Mason passed away. Little did I know how much it would save me. And I had a friend who, the same friend who used to watch Mason Motherfats, actually, she had a, had her son who was going to this really awesome tennis coach. We went to watch her tennis coach and another friend of ours play in this tournament, our, my friend Kim. And we decided that day, we're going to play tennis. We're almost, you know, we're in our 40s and we're going to start playing tennis. And actually we found out a lot of women do later in life. Lo and behold, as I'd gone through all of this grief, tennis was the thing that I still looked forward to. Tennis is very social. I had a really great support system around me of women that I hadn't known before that. And so tennis is what I'm really, really joyful and thankful for today, just where it's taken me, how it's kept me healthy. And my tennis coach is one of my best friends and Mm. his, his parents had a grief group that I didn't know about until after Mason passed away. And he was instrumental in helping me find a grief and support group. So I truly feel that God placed tennis in my way in front of me in preparing me for a support system that he knew I would need at a later time. Yeah. 
I remember my spiritual director, Suzanne, told me right after all the everything that happened to us, we were having a session and she said, you can't think your way through grief. Mm. So if you ever are feeling it deeply, do something for your body, move your body in some way. So be gentle with yourself, but like do something in your body. So whether that's taking a stroll or it's taking a warm bath or doing yoga online or finding a new hobby like tennis or pickleball and becoming a part of something that could really help if you're in the midst of deep grief right now. Yeah. Here you are. We're holding space with you. Steph, wow. Thank you for such a beautiful episode reflecting on Mason's life and legacy and the love you have for him. It's so palpable. And and I just, I am so grateful to you for your willingness to be so brave today and to share your story. Well, I'm proud to do it. And such a great tribute to him. Thank you for all your beautiful questions, too. Yeah. Don't forget to head over to our website, thegriefsisters.com. We have a free gift for you. It's a five-day grief meditation audio track that helps you manage anxiety. It includes a 10-page printable journal that walks you through each of the five days and provides a way to help you track each day. You can also find another audio version of the grief meditation track on episode three of season one of our podcast. We are also currently working on a series of resources and small group opportunities that will be tackling various phases of grief. These breakthrough resources will help you take steps to find the motivation you need to move through grief at your own pace, but move forward nonetheless. So look for updates on our website for those launches soon. Also, please look for our Grief Sisters book club and support group on Facebook. And remember, it's a we don't care if you've read the book club. Join us anyway. All of the links will be available in the podcast descriptions. Thank you for joining us today, family. We are grateful to you and for you. Until next time, let's try to stay open to joy. Because seemingly, against all odds, no matter who you are or what your circumstances are, joy can always, always find you. If you have experienced loss of any kind, you may be feeling overwhelmed and stuck. We get it. That's why we created RISE. It is an engaging five-step journey that you can take at your own pace that will help you get on the road toward healing. It comes with videos and a companion guide and easy actions you can try each day to help you to find relief. To join the RISE journey, head to thegriefsisters.com or check out the link in today's show notes.